Welcome to another episode of the Blurred Political Lines podcast, where we share our political views, discuss current events, and explore different perspectives. In this mini-episode, Dr. Plum joins Paul to discuss the new CDC recommendations about masks. Go. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good. Welcome back. Oh, love to be back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just had to do this little episode because um, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm absolutely ecstatic about the updated CDC guidance that yeah. um, turns out that now that we're vaccinated, that we can be free from masks at last. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I mean, just given what everything that we've been through in the past year, I guess it, it probably like to you and me and a lot of people came as kind of a surprise that this wasn't an incremental thing. It was just kind of announced flat out. It but did come on pretty quickly, didn't it? Yeah, kind of just a, a complete, I don't want to say complete 180, but just a, <laughs> a very new step in how things are going. At least 90 it, degree turn. At least 90 degree turn. But I mean, <laughs> I, I guess when you take a step back at it and you think about it, it, it makes a little bit of sense. It just depends on which side of the fence you end up sitting on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting. Um, I saw that one of the largest nurses organizations uh, or unions in the United States came out against it. So I was curious to get your thoughts, you know, is this going to be a, a good thing or is it going to actually maybe set us back a little bit because now it's going to be harder to actually, um, you know, manage people who are unvaccinated, who are out and about. Yeah, I think that that's where the biggest, you know, discrepancy comes in is because, you know, you have to think about people in two different piles. So the new CDC guidelines clearly, you know, designate that that guidance to not have to wear masks only applies to people who are vaccinated. And who have, right. you know, finished the two weeks past their second dose, or in the case of the Johnson and Johnson, you know, two weeks past their first and only dose. So mm-hmm. it, it brings up a lot of very interesting points, because I think people who are on the dedicated kind of masking side and are suspicious of the, you know, people who are, let's say, anti-vax or don't wish to get the vaccine. I think there's a lot of suspicion that, you know, people who aren't vaccinated are going to be not wearing masks now anyway. And so now you right. have a kind of a a hard to tell environment of who's actually vaccinated, who's not. Right. And now they put the responsibility basically on businesses to mm-hmm. make that decision, um, which, you know, is just going to be dreadful to try to enforce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that it, it really kind of depends. I think you have to look at it from like, I guess, everybody's different perspective. So, I mean, me personally, like I'm vaccinated, so I know, that, you know, 99% of the time, I'm probably not going to come down with COVID. And if I do, I more than likely won't have a severe reaction needing hospitalization. So if people around me choose to wear a mask or not, it doesn't necessarily, I guess, impact me. So I guess that's like a a bonus for me, you know, just thinking about the public health aspects, you know, I worry about unvaccinated, unmasked people in mass you know, either then presenting to the hospital with really significant health, you know, issues or always the possibility of, you know, the more infections means the more chance for new variants and the chance that we could spin this thing way back out of control. So that always exists. Right. And I, that's why I was so surprised that this happened, especially so quickly, um, because, you know, we talked about it last time you were on here. We talked about um, the infamous Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci getting into it on these things. Um, and Dr. Fauci was saying at the time, masks were not theatrics because we needed them to protect against variants. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, 
um, that went away. And it was just kind of shocking to me how quickly it changed. And we only have really 38% of the population fully vaccinated two doses mm-hmm. after two weeks. Um, so I guess there was kind of a change with that. Maybe there's no longer concern about the variants or as much. Um, but weren't we going to wait till we had like reached herd immunity? Wasn't that the yeah. plan? So I think that that was the the optimistic plan forever. And I think what you'll what you're seeing in, you know, in the state of Ohio and even nationwide is you're hitting this 38 to 40 percent people who have sought out and gotten their vaccinations. So that's the high risk people usually. And then now the vaccines pretty universally in the United States, at least available to everybody, I guess, from the age of 12 up. So you're reaching a point or you will reach a point in the next few weeks where everybody who wanted a vaccine and is going to get vaccinated is there. Right. So, you know, we've reached the point where, unfortunately, this comes down to personal responsibility, you know, and in terms of public health, we know that that almost never really works out to the, <laughs> to the optimistic extreme. But right. you're reaching a point where if people, cho- the, the tools are there for everybody now. And, you know, we have this, this miraculous weapon um, against the COVID-19 pandemic. All you have to do is reach out and get it. And so that's, it's coming down to the point of personal responsibility, you know, you can't, you can't make people do the things that are, you know, indicated for their health. You just kind of have to let them live with the personal responsibilities of their choices. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, sure. Kind of looking back at it now, do you think that Rand Paul was right? I mean, he took a lot of criticism for what he was saying. It was only maybe like a month ago that he was saying these things. And, and now we're here. Was he just correct about what the evidence was showing or was he just well, being an ass? So I don't I don't know the exact <laughs> Rand Paul quote. You know, I can imagine there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of flair to what he was saying. But I think I think the main story is, you know, that for vaccinated people, they're almost in a different class of people because they get, you know, different exemptions from the CDC rules, whereas unvaccinated people are still encouraged to wear masks, are still encouraged to social distance and don't necessarily have the same, you know, the same universal freedoms, let's say, that somebody who's vaccinated does for the sake of public health. So, you know, yeah. I would say that it, if you take it in the context of, you know, the future, so now that we know the CDC guidelines and we have a little bit of better data on the vaccine and that's led to people kind of loosening the reins a bit, you know, you could probably say that Rand Paul was probably right in his ethos, you know. I, yeah. think, it's, I think everybody's been thinking it for a long time. It's just when, when, does the benefit outweigh the harm in terms of, you know, making the CDC's official stance X, Y, or Z. I think that's always something you have to put into light. Right. And was it, was there a new study? Was there new evidence that came out? Did you see anything like that, that really maybe tipped it into this direction? No, I think, I think the evidence, you know, I haven't seen any big studies or landmark kind of things that led to the CDC's decision. I think that these kind of things as evidence builds over time and as you reach different, you know, social pressures, um, you know, the most prominent one being the fact that the vaccine is universally available now. And now we're starting to get to the point where vaccine doses that we had ordered with anticipation that people would take them are going to go unused. So I I just saw Biden is now committing to 20 million or so more doses to overseas because America clearly doesn't want them. And so they're getting to the point where, you know, it's not, you don't have to protect people who don't have the chance to get the vaccine. Now you have to decide whether strict rules are in place to protect people who don't want to be protected. Well, and they had ordered uh, a ridiculous <laughs> amount of vaccine to begin with. I mean, we talked last November, I think, 
uh, about Operation Warp Speed, and there were several yep. hundred thousand being ordered through that. And then when they got in, they ordered. Uh, do you know what the final number was? I mean, it was I don't. Something... I don't know what the final number, but it was enough to vaccinate the entire population. I think more than once. So oh, I, easily. I think. It, yeah. I honestly think it might be more than that. So yeah. I was very confused with that, but I guess. You never know what's going to come up with some of these vaccines. I guess I'll give them the benefit of the doubt yeah, with that part, just to have. Yeah, definitely. I mean, part of that is you never know. We never knew which vaccines were actually going to pan out or not. So you place these pre-orders, you know, right. basically gambling in that you think maybe Pfizer will come through. Maybe Moderna won't. So we're not going to be able to cover everybody with that. But we'll get this AstraZeneca maybe. So we'll play the game there. Plus, it puts the U.S. in a strategical advantage from a political perspective to be able to do goodwill and humanitarian efforts which never hurts in geopolitical um you know debates <laughs> right um, so, well i guess then you know the question i have then was this intentionally put off it kind of sounds like you're thinking that too um intentionally put off longer than we really needed it to be maybe for political reasons because i think there were some studies that came out in february and march um from Israel that were basically mm -hmm. confirming in real life what we had already known since the Pfizer vaccine um, kind of went through its trials last year, that it was going to be over 90% effective at these things. Mm -hmm. um, and we've just continued to confirm that. And it just seems strange to me that it was put off to this point. And then just like at the drop of a hat, it kind of switched. And I, I can't help but think maybe it has to do with some other things going on in the world right now, you know? We sure. have the Israel and Palestine um, crisis, war, um, conflict, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. as well as you have gas prices rising. You have um, gas problems where there was um, the whole thing with the colonial pipeline happened, mm -hmm. as well as now you're having some poor economic numbers coming out. I can't help but think that that had to influence it. And we talked about this last year, kind of balancing mm -hmm. economics with public health and, and how hard of the decision that must be. What yeah. do you think? Do you think that had to play into it? Yeah. So I think, I mean, whenever a decision is made on this grand scheme and whenever, you know, more stakeholders are involved than just the pure public health outcry or public health image, you know, it, it's a universal truth that like there are multiple levers being pulled in this decision. And it's really kind of a battle of, you know, where you get the most net benefit, whether that's, you know, from political re or for political reasons, for economic reasons, for health reasons, you like we talked about, you have to balance all of those things. So none of these things are made in isolation. I will right. speak, I will speak just to, I guess, on good faith for the public health organizations, you know, it really is kind of a tenant of like public health and you know, when you're messaging these things effectively is, you know, you really want to be sure that this is the decision you want to go with, because the worst thing for a, a public health authority or really authority and authority figure altogether is to message something so aggressively, change your mind and then change your mind again. You know, so you just you end up disenfranchising or just, you know, basically throwing anything you say in the future into doubt if you aren't very careful with how you choose to message this using the data. So I would yeah. say that this, this decision probably could have come earlier without a whole lot of negative, but you know, I, I'm talking maybe like weeks earlier. This isn't something I think that the CDC was ready to message, you know, months earlier, especially given the fact that just within the last month or so, people have finally been able to get the vaccine without an exorbitant weight that really, you know, think this is as universally available as it, as it has been ever. Yeah. I just can't help but think, um, you know, there was such outcry last year that Trump was um, interfering with the CDC. I can't mm -hmm. help but suspect that the same thing had happened 
um, throughout all of this year too. I mean, you had the teachers unions coming out um, and after the CDC had said it was okay to open schools, they kind of retracted that. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the double masking thing, which kind of seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, and then you have this when things are kind of getting uh, the heat's kind of turning up a little bit on the administration. So it, it's interesting. I can't help but think that there um, might be a little bit more of a, a role that the Biden administration had in that than truly just the CDC made that decision. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's always right to be skeptical and always right to be suspicious, you know, but like most things in politics and, you know, current events, we really, I don't think we'll have a full grasp of what any of this means for months to come until everything else that's going on at the moment comes to light. But, you know, I mean, to me, you know, in, in, you know, we're in Ohio. So like right. thinking about DeWine's posturing on this as well and, and know how Ohio shakes out in terms of the numbers, you know, I think this is getting to the realm where it's it's probably more realistic to have a an honest debate about whether these things are right or wrong. Um, when you start to now, you know, have the availability and it comes down to a public or personal choice. Speaking of DeWine, um, did, did yeah. you see that they're giving away a million dollars a week oh, to yeah. people who are vaccinated? Oh, yeah, I'm going to enter the lottery. Yeah. Oh, to. for sure. I think we're automatically entered. <laughs> I hope so. So I just saw an ad today or something that apparently that he's now walked that back and you have to opt in starting on oh, Tuesday. It's a whole it's a, a developing story. Yeah, I want you to have the odds as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'll cut you in if I win. There you go. I'll do I'll do the same, you know, for giving me the platform. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. No, honestly, you probably just saved a lot of people entries and our odds are going to be way higher now. So I know. Well, there you go. It's a win win. Well, I just wonder if maybe they were like, well, maybe we don't have all the information we need for this, <laughs> you know, or something. Yeah, I don't know. He was, I think the idea originally was to use the voting tax or the voting rolls and, you know, tax records or something. But I imagine when you're running something through a lottery organization, because I think they're using the backbone of the higher lottery to be able to do this, that I, I imagine you're crossing some sort of legal line that they were like, okay, yeah, you have to opt in. To, uh, yeah. Either yeah, way. it's probably <laughs> how many weeks are they doing it for? You know, I think it was like four or five. Yeah. So it's five weeks. It's five weeks of drawings. I think on the, I can't believe I know this, but it's five weeks of drawings um, on Wednesday night lottery, I believe. And then in a similar pattern, they're doing a 12 to 17 year old lottery. Yeah. I saw um, that. In which those kids get free full rides to in-state public institutions. I believe if they win. So it's um, an interesting a strategy. But COVID edition. Vaccine, vaccine edition. Yeah, vaccine edition. <laughs> yeah, an interesting strategy. You know, Ohio is pretty dedicated to their lottery system. So I don't know, may get some increased vaccine buy-in. I mean, yeah, how else are you going to do it at this point? I think people have pretty much made up their minds. You know? Yeah, that's the thing is, you know, people have made up their minds. There isn't going to be a lot of sway either way. Um, you know, we may, we'll see the numbers continue to increase as people who don't feel they're, you know, primarily high risk, finally put it on their to-do list and go do it. Yeah, but, you know, I, I'm I think the main story is everyone thought everyone hoped we would get to herd immunity from mm-hmm. a vaccine route, but it's becoming clearer and clearer that that is just not going to happen. Right. Well, we'll have to see how things play out. Um, I do have one more thing here. Um, yeah. The Cleveland Clinic came out with a study. Uh, I think I sent it to you. It was that they had seen ninety nine point seven percent of hospitalizations between January and April were in unvaccinated people. Yep. And that was circulating quite a bit in the last week. And I just have to put my two cents in on it and, and get your opinion. Sure. Um, I can't help but see that statistic and think that it's inflated, even if it's just like 5% inflated. 
Um, it just seems inflated to me as the, the group where they're actually getting this data from was from January through April when less than like 20% of the population was vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't you think that the, the vast majority, especially when January and February, the numbers were so much higher than they were in March and April, that the vast majority of any cases whatsoever were in unvaccinated people, just be based on time, not even mm-hmm. based on people who had turned down the vaccine. Yeah. And I think that it that's a really important point. And it really, I think, just depends on, you know, what information you can glean from this study, because you mentioned like the timeline for January, February, maybe even March, you know, the majority of people in the United States who weren't healthcare providers or some other high risk group weren't vaccinated. And so inherently, almost all of the cases universally are going to be unvaccinated people. Right. Now, whether that whether you think, you know, that can or, you know, confounds the study or makes the findings a little bit more unreliable, I guess just depends. You know, this is kind of in line with where we would think, you know, the numbers should be right around there with the vaccine efficacy, too. So, you know, you're talking somewhere in the low 90s to mid 90s versus 99.7. You know, there right. may be some some wiggle room there by just based on the number of unvaccinated people in the population but the numbers don't seem terribly unrealistic, you know? So it just depends on, you know, an inter- it's an interesting study. The docs yeah. at the hospital I work at, we were talking about it actually in the ICU last Thursday night, that Cleveland clinic study. Mm-hmm. And it's, it lines up pretty well with exactly what I see, you know, in my clinical world too, you know, at this point in the game, almost literally, I haven't seen a single person who said I got the vaccine and now I'm here because of COVID. Okay. That was actually my next question for you. I want to get, um, kind of your real world world experience with that. So um, yeah, that's good to know that that's pretty consistent. I guess um, we'll have to see how long that lasts for too. I mean, they don't really, I haven't seen anything new about length of immunity. I know last year they were saying three months and then that seemed to go up to maybe like nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll see how long that lasts for. Yeah. I've heard anywhere from three to six to nine months as well. You know, I was listening to a couple of podcasts, a couple more medicine, you know, nitty gritty podcasts with some mm-hmm. pretty big people in the immunology kind of, world and they seem pretty sure that like a booster shot is going to be on the menu for for most people coming up in the in the winter months so we'll see yeah i wouldn't be surprised with that yeah i wouldn't be surprised maybe i'll have fevers for a couple days and it'll be okay oh geez (laughs) (laughs) i think Um, we'll do all right yeah yeah we'll be fine um i guess the other question too is like who who's not getting vaccinated at this point i want to talk about it because i think there's there's been like this myth maybe that like um everyone who wasn't wearing masks everyone who got covid everyone who was spreading covid and everyone who's not getting vaccinated were all trump supporters Mm -hmm. um and i think the math really doesn't add up pretty quickly um i just want to get your take on that because if only 38 percent of the population is vaccinated yeah um well depending on who you ask i don't think that donald trump got um 62 percent of the popular vote but no i don't think so (laughs) there's obviously (laughs) that can't be you know the only thing and then you have to take out um maybe people who are under the age of 18 who haven't had an opportunity at at it Mm -hmm. but i think there's a much wider um group of people who aren't getting vaccinated than maybe we're being really told in in kind of the the mainstream media's narrative of it yeah so i think you know it it really just depends on how the media paints this story, but I think it really is a multifaceted, you know, group of people who aren't or choosing to not get vaccinated. So, you know, you have 
in any group of people, there are even, you know, physicians and other healthcare providers who choose not to get vaccinated for one reason or another. You know, historically, that number has been pretty small. We tend to fall on a certain side of the, I guess, vaccine recommendation spectrum as a whole. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just the way it is. You know, recently, you know, in, in terms of this point, recently, there was a study that showed that the most unlikely group of people to be vaccinated has recently switched historically it has almost always been african americans Mm -hmm. um in this country due to a lot of different reasons you know whether that's mistrust in the healthcare system from the era of the tuskegee syphilis experiment and everything like that versus you know them having very close-knit communities and a very you know tightly knit infrastructure that's a little bit harder to get to with public service and public health messaging and that they're just an underserved population really don't get the same, you know, treatment just empirically as, as other non-minority groups do that recently has switched in the past six months, actually to white Republicans are the least (laughs) likely (laughs) white Republican males, I think specifically are the least likely group of people to get vaccinated. Right. So yeah, I saw the statistic was like 50% of male Republicans or something. Yeah. Um, and so we're likely to get vaccinated, but you have to think that's got to be what, like 20,000 people. Sure. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> we're you know, still that's, missing like almost yeah. 200 million people here. No, definitely. I think that that's the headline that's really easy to bite onto is, you know, right. uh, Trump supporters are the only ones choosing to not va- get vaccinated, but they're just a, 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 let's say a statistically bigger piece of the much larger pie that is people who choose not to get vaccinated and that's for very different reasons and you know very difficult to put your finger on exactly for all of them universally so you know the trump supporter camp let's say the quote-unquote unmaskers are a a portion of the people who are choosing to not get vaccinated but certainly not the entire group of people i think you're totally accurate in that right it's just interesting to see that pushed so heavily the way that it's been um along with the you know anti-masking stuff um, oh, yeah. There's certainly, I think people just want someone to blame for the situation, you know, and it's really easy to pick a group, uh, mm-hmm. especially a group like that um, to, to blame for this. But I think that to really appreciate it, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's more than 50% of the country hasn't even gotten their first vaccine yet. Yeah. And I mean, you know how the 24 hour news cycle is, you know, it's easy to grab onto one catching headline, but I think just as culpable in not getting their vaccines as soon as they can are just young people in general, you know, right. It falls, you know, when you know you're low risk for the disease, you know that you're low risk for, let's say the harsh complications, even though that's definitely not the, the universal, it becomes easy to say, Oh, I could get that next week. I have a couple things to do or, you know, and I think we have a, a great portion of the population that's, you know, willing to get the vaccine, but doesn't want to go do it right now. You know, you know, you might feel bad and, you have to take a day off work and you can't miss work. So yeah. there's a, there's a large portion of the population that I think is let's call them vaccine curious vaccine. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and they, they just haven't, haven't put it on their own personal to-do list. So continuing the messaging, continuing the availability, I think is a good way to increase that number beyond the 38% mark, but we're probably not going to get to herd immunity from immunizations alone, just based on right. all of the various groups, you know, everyone kind of included who are, you know, let's put them as vaccine hesitant. Right. Right. Um, one more thing. So we, we talked about the, you mentioned the mainstream media, their narratives yeah. we'll talked about that a little bit. Um, I happened to read this article today about um, Florida 
and uh-huh. how some of the misinformation that was put pushed by the media about them falsifying COVID numbers and how long that story ran for and how it hasn't really turned out to be true. Um, I think it might be a good next episode for us, maybe in a month or so. Ooh, yeah. You'll have to send me the article so I can take a look at it. We'll, we'll see if we can get back together. We'll continue the COVID saga as long as, uh, <laughs> as long as it stays clickbaity. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right? Well, you know, the thing I was like, well, maybe this will be the last one. I was thinking the more it's really like we've talked about the whole time, the longer this goes on, the more we're going to be able to look back and really see what happened and, and I think find interesting stories like that one um, yeah. to see maybe what was misinformation and um, just what were some interesting things that happened that we can kind of take from it. So. Yeah, definitely. Some, some definitely uh, good topics I think to discuss both from a political perspective and a public health perspective. So I'd be more than happy to come back and grace the podcast again. Great. I'm happy to hear that. I'm sure our <laughs> listeners are too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any other thoughts anything else you want to add in this one no i think you know just in general you know happy to happy to see things i guess push towards a a more normal um you know it's okay you'll you'll still see me sporting my mask around the hospital and probably sporting my mask in public quite a bit um but enjoying some of the some of the return to normalcy i think with a lot of the other populations so excited to see things i guess take a turn yeah well i all right. One last thing. I promise. This yeah. Is the last thing. Bring it on. <laughs> um, is it fair to say now you just mentioned still wearing a mask in public? Um, yeah. Is it fair to say that that is not quote unquote following the science? Yeah. So my personal choice to decide to wear a mask in public. Yeah. Yeah. So I it's, mean, fl- it's flipped on its head now. The science deniers, so to speak, um, would be people still wearing masks at this point. Isn't that true? So it, it, I guess it just depends. So, I mean, you know, I would say like when I go home with my family, you know what I mean? I enter into a place where I'm now mixed with vaccinated and unvaccinated people. Mm-hmm. So it gets a little bit interesting there. I think that one could argue that if you're at an event where one person is unvaccinated, it might be in the benefit of everybody from a social, you know, from a social pressure standpoint to continue to wear a mask if one person in your group has to wear a mask. I think that there are there are reasons I think that are valid to continue, quote unquote, posturing in a certain way to achieve a a public health outcome. You know, I think that there are reasons to do that. I don't think that it necessarily has to be a black and white with the science without the science. I know it's just funny. It's just funny to put the thing on its head. Oh, I know. (laughs) I I caught you. (laughs) Nothing personal against you. Um, I I think that's perfectly fine if people want to still be cautious. But, you know, after all the rhetoric last year, after all just the angry things that were said about people, um, you know, now that the science doesn't say that, uh, what can yeah. you really say? It, yeah, it's I think fun to be really, uh, flip it. Yeah, I think with, I'm going to make a little prediction here that I think masks are going to be a lot more popular in this country, especially amongst healthcare providers when flu season comes around again. Because yeah. it was almost like historic low anecdotal flu numbers. I saw one case of flu this year. Yes. Yeah. Even I though we tested everyone for it. Like part of our COVID panel is COVID flu A, flu B. Everyone gets swabbed for all of them at the same time. And I've seen one influenza, which is unheard of. Yeah. I think that they're definitely going to come back, whether it's COVID or flu season. I think that might be part of the reason too. I didn't mention that before, but part of the reason why they're going away now so quickly Mm-hmm. is that way we're primed and ready to go again <laughs> September, October when they recommend it again. <laughs> yeah. So that, I mean, so that people aren't so burnt out that they go, okay, we'll put this back on again. 
Yeah, I think I think it. You may see it just become part of part of the societal norm. I think for a little while, and it'll probably be more of a personal choice than a mandate when we're not in a quote unquote pandemic. Yeah, hopefully in the winter, but it's going to be interesting to see. We'll have to we'll have to see how it goes. Yes, and I'm sure we'll have many more discussions about this going forward. Oh, bring it on! (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, always a pleasure to be on the podcast. Much appreciated. Well, that's everything we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.